This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with Bet Victor. I'm your host, COVID-ravaged Dan Bardell, joined by calf strain Jonathan Wilson and look out the window, Josh Wright. Jonathan, you well? Yeah, apart, apart just in your calf this morning. It's annoying. It's been a year plagued by injuries and uh, it's ended in the way uh, in the way it's been. Just yeah. 800 metres from the end of a 5k, just ping. We're very on trend. It, it, it didn't look time in six months, but still, you know, I'm going to be out for at least a week. I'm sure you'll be in for a big 2022 calf injury or not. Josh, you good? Yeah, I'm all good. Injury-free, fitness is good. Just hoping to carry that on into 2022 now. Yeah, Manu winning as well. So nice time for you last night. Let's crack on. Oh, well, well, hang on. Why don't I get that? Sunderland won 5 0 last night. Went top of League One. You did tell me that before we came on. I would say usually I have no idea what's going on in League One, but you did tell me before we came on. It was a great night for you Maybe as well, Jonathan. Pathetic. Pathetic. Great <laughs> night. I said to you, since Sunderland stopped filming that documentary, the promotion pushes up. They didn't get promoted last season. There was no documentary last season. Oh, so yeah. It might just be the richest club in League One by a million miles. <laughs> Doesn't always work that way. That, that, that doesn't it's always well, help. It hasn't up till now. <laughs> exactly. Josh, let's crack on December team of the month from who scored. Who have we got in the 11? Uh, yep. So let's kick it off from uh, back to front. In goal, we've got David De Gea. He seems to pick at times to play well when Manchester United as a team are playing poorly. That seems to have been a trend over the last few years. That's but quite, he, um, quite a lot of the time. Yeah, quite a lot of the time. He has impressively earned Manchester United 15 points this season from saves from clear-cut goal-scoring chances for opponents. That's by far and away the most of any goalkeeper, so he's been really key to keeping Manchester United just in the top half, really. Um, and then in defence, we've got Trent Alexander-Arnold. He has a goal and an assist in December, ranked second for key passes, and he completed more crosses than 11 other teams did in the whole of the month. Uh, in At centre-back, we've got Jan Bednarak. He scored a couple of goals for Southampton, and he's joined by Roman Saez. Uh, he had three. He helped Wolves keep three clean sheets in five games. Scored the winner against Brighton as well. He'll be a big miss when he departs for Afcon uh, next week. Kieran Tierney rounds off the back four. He's wrestled back his spot at left back from Nuno Tavares at Arsenal. Uh, he finished December with one goal and two assists. Uh, into midfield, we've got Riyad Mahrez. He scored and assisted in his final three league matches of 2021. Again, he's off to Afcon next week and will be a blow. He's their top goal scorer this season in all competitions. In midfield, we've got Mason Mount, played direct hand in the most goals of any player in the Premier League in December with seven. Uh, he's joined by Kevin De Bruyne, um, who scored more goals in December than the rest of the season combined and also got an assist in midweek. Was unfortunate to have another assist chalked off. That was actually his first assist of the season. Um, Raheem Sterling completes the midfield four. He's our player of the month. Uh, he scored or assisted in every appearance in December and closed off 2021 by scoring in four straight matches. He might feature in our bet builder a little later on in the show. Um, and then up front, we've got Son Hoon Min, who scored in four of his five appearances in December and also registered an assist. And Phil Foden joins him. He played a direct hand in four goals and three starts in December. So that's De Gea in goal, Alexander-Arnold right back, Bednarek and Saez at centre-back, uh, Kieran Tierney left back, Right midfield, Riyad Mahrez with Mason Mountain, De Bruyne in central midfield, Raheem Sterling left midfield and a front two of Son and Foden. Very nice. Jonathan, thoughts? It's a bit of a Garth Crook team, isn't it? I mean, there's no, it's, it's very there's no holding midfield there. It's not really a 4-4-2. Um, yeah. So all, all the usual problems. I, yeah. I mean, you could, you could at a pinch play Mountain, uh, De Bruyne deep in midfield in a 43-1, but... Like, you know, what, 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 what's Rodri got to do? I'm not sure he actually made enough games. He missed the last couple, didn't he? I don't think he did miss the last couple. That's true, yeah, yeah. But yeah, he, he, he's in and around it for the team this season, though. So that's the one that really counts, I guess. Harry Winks must be disappointed. Yeah, Winks, Winks, was, Winks was good against Southampton. I watched, I watched that game, he was very good. Yeah, yeah. one game, though. It's oh, not enough to get. Okay. When I say it's in a very offensive team, works on two levels. <laughs> Doesn't it? Very, very, very nice. Let's look now at Arsenal versus Manchester City. And Josh, I believe you've got the form rankings just before we get into this game. It's the Emmanuel yeah. Adebayor derby, by the way, whose name I can't say. I just, there's so many things make me laugh when I say Adebayor's name. That celebration 
when he scored against Manchester City, when he scored against Arsenal for Manchester City and ran to the Arsenal fans. Also, when he was about to join Villa and then he decided that there was a curse upon the club and then backed out in the last <laughs> minute. And, and, he, and he was right because we did get relegated on 17 points, so he deserves a lot of credit for that. But yeah, away from Adebayor tales, Let, let's get those form rankings, Josh. Uh, it's quite nice, actually, the top 10 this week. It's dominated pretty much by Manchester City and Arsenal players, which bodes well for tomorrow's game. Uh, we're starting in 10, we've got Harry Kane. So he's coming into a bit of form now that Tottenham are improving. And then we've got Mason Mount in nine, John McGinn eight. Martin Odegaard is one of four Arsenal players in the top 10. He's in seven, followed by Alexandre Lacazette. Uh, James Madison in five, who won't get to play this weekend because his game against former club Norwich has been postponed. Um, four is Bakaya Sacco. And in the top three is Son Heung-min, Gabriel Martinelli, and then Raheem Sterling in first. Well, I'm confused. So that's form rankings. Was that, that was across the whole day because I've obviously heard John McGinn's now. Very Arsenal and Man City heavy, that was. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, I, I guess helped by they've played quite regularly, I guess, recently. But yeah. they're also in both both probably the form teams, you would say, heading in to the weekend. Was there more Arsenal than City? Uh, there was, yeah. There's four, wow. four Arsenal and two... No, just one. Just one Man City. Raheem Sterling. I would not like to go back and watch Edge of the Box from the start of the season, Jonathan, with some of the stuff we said about Arsenal. I don't know whether you were particularly bad, but I know I was. Incredible turnaround, really, isn't it? Well, is it? I mean... I think so. This is the same thing happening again, though. Like, oh, they've won four in a row. Yeah, Southampton, West Ham, Leeds, Norwich. Well done. Like, <laughs> You've got to give them a little bit of credit. No, I mean, look, beating teams who are worse than you is, is not a, a given, and Arsenal are very good at it, but um, yeah, I think people must have overreacted when they lost the first three games, given that two of those games were Liverpool and City, and away at Brentford, first game of the season, they were missing a load of players, playing away against a newly promoted team, particularly a newly promoted team who play in quite a distinctive style, you know, a, a style that maybe takes some getting used to. Um, in you know, a team that hasn't been up for what was it 70 74 years since Brentford last in the top flight so that was always going to be a massive occasion it was always going to be difficult for the away team so I mean Arsenal were, were pretty pathetic that night you know all that notwithstanding but those three games you could see why they lost them but then everybody gets massively overexcited because they beat a load of teams who aren't that great um and I just sort of think that's happened again now if they can get a result against City well okay something has changed but I don't think they will. And they're in the race for fourth because once you get below the top three, you know, the, the, I think there's there's a cluster of teams who are all inconsistent for various reasons or have a certain level that they can't go beyond. And that would include Tottenham and Manchester United, West Ham. Um, I think in a normal season when they hadn't been ravaged by injuries, it would include Leicester, but Leicester have had loads of injuries. Um, teams like Villa and Everton clearly think they, they should be in that mix. Um, and yeah, Arsenal have played well recently, but they haven't really played against anybody that good. Oh, fair enough, interesting. Josh, we're not going to talk about Aubameyang because he's been done to death, but Lacazette is the main man up front, captain at the moment for Arsenal. Contract up at the end of the season. I don't even think he's in talks to, to get a new deal at Arsenal. Does he deserve one? Would they want to keep him? Because they're kind of moving away from that type of player now, aren't they? He doesn't, although he's doing well, he doesn't fit in with the ethos and what they're trying to do at the club. Arsenal have just found themselves. I've got themselves into a bit of a tricky situation at the moment. Um, obviously, they're desperate. You would have think they're now desperate to get rid of Aubameyang, but then at the same time, they've got Lacazette and Inquietia, who are both out of contract in the summer. And ideally, you wouldn't want to lose your three strikers all in one go. Um, but then on the other hand, Arsenal have been burned by giving big contracts out to players that are the wrong side of thirty. Think of Aubameyang now, Ozil, Willian, Mkhitaryan, David Luiz. These are all players that. Um, have been given big contracts only to be moved on shortly afterwards. So you'd think that that's in, that's in Arsenal's mind. I, I, ideally, I guess Arsenal would want to give Lacazette like a rolling one-year contract. That would probably be ideal for them, but that's not going to be appealing to the player at all. I think he's 30 now, so he's probably got one big contract left. And if that's not on the, off, on the table from Arsenal, then I guess he want, he, he'll move on. But yeah, I, I, on form, I'd say he deserves it. And I do think that he, he has got a lot of his work rate's really good and I do think that he has got a place at Arsenal but I just think that his age and how previous experiences at Arsenal in the last few years will count against him but 
but then that leaves Arsenal with a big job to do either in January or, or the summer trying to find some new strikers. Where he would go is, is the key question, isn't it? Because nobody's got any money apart from Premier League teams. So I think Arsenal are in a pretty strong position for, you know, in terms of negotiations that they can say, look, here's a one-year rolling contract or here's a you know, two-year deal. I certainly don't think they want to go longer than two years. Um, and you know, they, they can be pretty clear what what price they put on them. They don't have to go beyond that because I just don't think um, there's many other clubs will be able to afford him. I mean, maybe he wants to go back to France. I don't know. Um, but he, he's always been one of those players. I mean, I sort of, I, I saw him at the, I was out at the under 20 world cup in Colombia in 2011 when he was sort of one of the, the hype players uh, going into that tournament. And he was sort of, I think he, I think he did score four or five goals, but he didn't look that special. And I sort of feel that's been been the way throughout his career. You look at his record for Arsenal, I think every season he scored between 10 and 14 goals. So it's been okay without being outstanding. He scores just under a goal every every two games. Um, is he essential to how they play now? No. Is he doing okay? Yes. Otherwise, Nketiah probably would, would be getting more of a look in. Because Nketiah, I mean, I know it was only against Sunderland, but in the, in the League Cup, he did look really sharp. And, and got... Uh, did he get four that night? Or certainly three. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just can't, I can't. And also the fact he's 30, that who's going to break the bank for him? I just don't think anybody is. So I, I think Arsenal can, can, can play it pretty tough. But, but at the same time, they, they, they should be considering who they might want to replace him. And probably they should be considering that anyway. Because uh, again, it puts him in quite a strong position. That Enketia, um, I guess, isn't on huge wages, um, and, and maybe they would like to keep him, even though he hasn't really broken through yet. But they lose a Bamiang, and, and they lose like I said, that's a lot of money. You know, in the saving in wages, so you can actually be quite adventurous in who you go for, and and you look at the that fleet of young players they have around them, and you can be very very. Uh, targeted in in what sort of forward you think would would work well with them. So I, I actually I, I take the point that you probably ideally you wouldn't lose all three forwards at once, all three central forwards at once. But at the same time, I I, I think the way the game's economics are, I think Arsenal are are actually in a position to to come out of this quite well. I'm trying to Josh, have you got a name for Arsenal? I'm trying to think of someone. I can't I can't think of anyone. I think no, well, there's if, no one that really leaps out who's, who fits the mold for me. Just on Lacazette, it wouldn't surprise me if Barcelona, the way they're going, just throw a load of cash at him. But um, yeah, uh, Ollie Watkins might be quite nice. I saw that. Oh, he... Come on, Josh, get real. <laughs> <laughs> He's an Arsenal fan as well, isn't he? A boyhood Arsenal fan. Yeah. So maybe maybe a bit of Watkins work rate, decent striker. I've seen oh, yeah. he has been he has been linked to this morning as well. I've, I've I? seen that. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it's difficult because I think I get if Arsenal can get fourth then that opens up obviously more possibilities but up until then I think it's quite tough for for them to nail down a nail down a striker maybe Tammy Abraham after a year at Roma possibly we kind of fit the mould yeah who knows let's look a little bit at Manchester City now it's um, outrageous that was Josh suggesting the Villa player goes in I think I was hurt enough last summer when Jack Grealish left now you're trying to get rid of the striker as well completely out of order insensitive of me and I've got Covid completely out bang out of order you are Josh Martin would never do anything like that (laughs) because he's a Villa fan obviously Raheem Sterling then Josh Coming to the, I mean, we've spoke about the weird situation with Sterling many times on this podcast. He's coming to coming to the fore again now, although he didn't play a single minute in the last game against Brentford. But a very, very good December, as the form ranking showed us. Yeah, top of the form rankings. He was also our Premier League Player of the Month as well. Um, yeah, it all just looks good again. He's probably one of the first names on the team sheet for City again. And for most of 2021, that just wasn't the case. And I guess it just goes back to what we've spoken about before, about how Guardiola just, maybe it's not random, but often just pushes a player out to the fringes when it seems weird that he's done that. Um, he's done it with obviously with Bernardo Silva for a season or so. Foden and Grealish have recently been dropped, although that was for a lack of discipline off the pitch. Carl Walker has completely disappeared since he got a red card in the Champions League. Um, I get, And they all tend to come back stronger stronger than they were before. I guess the, the, dip, the only player that didn't was Leroy Sane. He ended up leaving. But yeah, Sterling left out from for pretty much most of 2021 but now has come back and he's in the goals he, i think he scored in eight of his last 10 appearances in all competitions for manchester city and he, and with man city they don't have obviously don't have that striker and they 
don't really now now they've sold Ferran Torres, but Sterling's goals are really propelling them to what looks like another Premier League title. You know, we won't talk about the fact that I put him in my fantasy football team this week and Pep just decided he wasn't going to play a single minute. Not happy with that at all. Do you think they'll go back in for Kane, Jonathan? Again, I'm completely deviating from the script here. Do you think they'll go back in for Kane in January now? Now they've got that Ferran Torres, man. I'd be surprised if they went for him in January. I, I don't know, actually, maybe... Because um, he obviously could he could still play Champions League. So uh, the, the one game... I mean, I say the one game. I guess you could also argue the Tottenham game at the start of the season or the the Southampton game, but the one game that sort of stands out where they 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 did lack a, a focal point was that the game away against PSG when they had so much possession and they they couldn't really play their way through that 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 very deep lying midfield three of PSG and you sort of thought well they've got the ball in great crossing positions but they've got nobody to cross to uh, that I think Foden was playing playing as the false nine that night. And you know, obviously, whacking balls in the air to, to Foden is 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 not really a sensible way of playing. Um, so I, I suppose they might. Uh, I, I, I guess the, the, there's now doubts about Kane. Um, I mean, I know he's come back into form since 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 Conte took over. And uh, was, was he was he tenth in 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 the form rankings? Yeah, he was. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that's a good sign, but it, it is only sort of a month or so. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, my my instinct is that given how difficult it is for players to settle in a Guardiola system, that City are not really a club who who are that interested in signing players in, in, in January. Um, so I would assume Conte would be pretty reluctant to let him leave. Uh so I, I think if they were to come back in for me, it would be in the summer. But I, I, you know, I wonder if I wonder if that ship sails. They sailed now. Arsenal's youngsters, then Josh. We've got our best young eleven. Is that of the season so far to talk about? Yeah, it's of the entire season. So I'll just quickly run through that, um, and it's quite Arsenal heavy. Uh, we've got um, Leeds goalkeeper Melier in goal. Obviously, not really many other candidates for that. Uh, in defence, we've got Liverpool. Ramsdale. Ramsdale not qualified for that. Uh, he is twenty-three and under, so he. Could have, okay. if we we have done it in the past where we um, include increase the age for goalkeepers just to include more of them, but not on this occasion. Uh, right back, we've got Liveramento of Southampton. Uh, Centre backs, we've got Mark Gehi of Crystal Palace. He's partnered by Nathan Collins of Burnley. He's only started five games, but has looked pretty good in those games. Burnley played a, quite a lot of money for him as well to be a backup substitute. And with James Tarkovsky potentially leaving in one of the next two windows, you would expect him to become a mainstay for Burnley. Um, at left back, we've got uh, Rayan out, out Nouri, sorry, at left back. And then into midfield, we've got Conor Gallagher and Oliver Skip as the central midfielders. And then in front of them, we've got Bukaya Sacco, Emil Smith Rowe, and Gabriel Martinelli as a three. And then Phil Foden is up front on his own. So, yeah, there's, th- there's three Arsenal players in there. They're three like premier youngsters, I, I guess. Uh, and yeah, they, they've been pretty much carrying Arsenal so far this season, you'd have to say. More than 50% of Arsenal's goals have been scored by players under the, under the age of 21 this season. Uh, they've scored 17 goals in total, which is as many as the other big six rivals have combined from their youngsters. Um, but just just to go back to what Jonathan said earlier, I do think that um, I'm, I'm not that convinced by Arsenal still. I think, to echo what Jonathan said, they just seem to beat teams that aren't playing well and then fall short against teams that are in a bit decent nick. Um, which you can only beat who's in front of you, and that's great. And maybe that's all Arsenal need to do to get fourth, is because there's obviously so many more teams that are worse than them. Uh, and if they can pick up point more points than not against them, then they should be there or thereabouts. Everyone knows that they're not on the same level as Liverpool, Manchester City. So is it a really big? Is it a big deal that they lose to them? Probably not. I guess the wider point is why they've allowed the gap to become so big between those teams. But yeah, it's it's going to be quite um, a big. But it's going to have a lot of pressure on Arsenal youngsters that they're going to maintain that. I feel like they're just missing like a prime Alexi Sanchez or Cesc Fabregas, someone like that, to really take them to the next level. But that comes with time. And if they can get the, get into the Champions League, then that will certainly help their cause. Who was the left back in that team? Sorry, Josh. Uh, do you want me to pronounce his name again? Yeah, I just want to hear it. Uh, Rain out Nori of Wolves. Thought so. Thought so. Just wanted to double check for you, Josh. Thank yeah. you. Nice team. Manchester City. Uh, guess, Jonathan, we've got a who scored Manchester City Player of the Year. Is this the Player of the Year across the whole Premier League or just Man City? The whole, the whole um, Premier League, yeah. 
guys, I'm a bit confused why this isn't Salah from every podcast that we've done this season. But Jonathan, if you had to guess, who would you say that Manchester City player would be as the who scored player of the year? Um, who was good for them last year? Last there season, was, there was someone that started scored nine goals in their first. Nine away, games. He might have guessed Ruben Diaz, and then I might have guessed a forward, and then I would have looked better than him. But now you've said they scored nine goals. So is, is it Gundogan? It is. Yeah, it is. Oh. Which is a bit, which is a bit, it's quite refreshing to be fair because it is usually a forward, and obviously Gundogan's had some huge injury problems throughout his career, and he's been great for some time. I guess he's flown under the radar a little, I guess, because there's a lot of focus has been put on Jao Cancelo, Rodri, and Bernardo Silva this season. Um, I was going to say Absolutely blinded by the sun now. Oh, the wind, um, window issues, different kind of window issues this time. Can't, where can't where have you got sun? Where, where are you living at the to get sun? It's absolutely bleak grey here in London. It's the clouds, it's just peaked through the clouds. I'm in Essex at the moment, in oh. Colchester. But yeah, absolutely blinding me. Uh, so yeah, um, and obviously there's been a lot of attention on the likes of Jack Grealish and Phil Foden and Sterling across this course of this season for good or bad reasons. But yeah, Gundogan's been a solid performer all year round. He's actually the third top goal scorer in the Premier League in 2021, which is which is a pretty good good effort for a central yeah, I mean, midfielder. I don't feel like he scored that many this season as well. I know he did score a lot that season, but it doesn't feel like he scored that many this season. He's got 14 for the uh, 15, sorry for the calendar year. Um, but yeah, I actually hadn't thought he'd played that much to be honest this season. But uh, he has started all but. He's played well over 50% of their games. Um, but yeah, Gundogan, he's gets the nod for us for 2021. Yeah. I was going to go further. Who would you have gone before Josh Bort, Jonathan? Well, I mean, that's, that's the great thing with City, isn't it? That they It's the unit rather than individuals within it. So yeah, Gundogan, Foden, uh, Rodri, I think, has been really good this season. Cancelo's been really good this season. And, and I think he's a, he's a doubt now, isn't he, for this game? Because he um, got attacked at a robbery at his home overnight. Yeah. Who's that? Um, so I hope, hope, uh, hope that's Cancelo, not Cancelo yeah. He got he said he got assaulted by four burglars that ran off of his jewellery and stuff from his home. Sterling's obviously been been great uh, recently. Bernardo Silva's been great this season. So I mean, yeah, there's seven or eight of them. He, you, you could pick quite easily. Because yeah, really, De Bruyne has had a lot of injuries, so he's not had a well, great yeah, year. You'd say he's their point. best player, but he doesn't get mentioned now because he's barely played. Yeah. And now he's coming to the fore. They're just frightening, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely frightening. We've got a bet builder for this game, Josh. Uh, yes, we do. As I mentioned earlier, Raheem Sterling was going to feature. Um, he's we've got him to score in this game. He scored in four straight Premier League appearances. As I mentioned, was a top goal scorer in the Premier League in December with five goals. Um, and he's actually only scored more goals against two teams than he has it against Arsenal in his career. So, likes to play Arsenal and is in great form. So, wasn't didn't play a minute in midweek. So, should be fit to start this one. Uh, and then we've got that followed up by Granite Xhaka to be carded. He has five yellow cards and red cards against Manchester City. Was sent off in the reverse fixture and booked in the game before that. Obviously, everyone knows that Xhaka likes to tackle and is a booking waiting to happen. And then we've got especially Bernardo. against City. Yeah, oh, that's a bank. That is a banker. You hope you think so, that's, a, that's a banker. And then to finish off the, the treble, we've got Bernardo Silva to be carded. Over the last three Premier League seasons, only Rodri's been booked more times than Silva of Manchester City players. Doesn't seem like an obvious offender, but loves to get stuck in and is generally booked quite a lot against the teams in the big six. Uh, so, yeah, we've got Raheem Sterling to score, Jacker to be carded and Bernardo Silva to be carded. That's been boosted from 26 to 1 to 35 to 1 by Bet Victor. Um, and you can find that bet in the link of our YouTube video. Let's finish this segment then with predictions. Jonathan, what have you gone for? 3-1 to City. 3-1 to City. Who scored? 2-1 to Manchester City. I've gone for 2-1 to Manchester City as well. Very good. Before we look at Chelsea v Liverpool in more detail, let's catch up with Sam Boswell from Bet Victor to look at the markets ahead of that game. Sam, always good to have you on. Let's get straight into it, talking about the big game of this round of fixtures. It's Chelsea against Liverpool. It's, someone's going to be a real big loser out of this, possibly, aren't they? Yeah, I think that's a really fair assessment of the game. It's, it's really key for both sides. Obviously, a little bit patchy, both sides coming to this, for what we'd expect from the likes of these two. Going back through the years, they've had some absolutely fantastic tussles, haven't they? You think about those epic Champions League nights, and as well in the league, it's been some pretty good watching for us. Hopefully, we'll be served up uh, a real treat here. 2-1, to one, Chelsea the home side to get the win. 12-5 to five the draw. Five to four Liverpool to get the away win. Uh, running through some boosts, more and most importantly, obviously Romelu Lukaku has been in the news for probably I'd say the wrong reasons uh, with his comments that have come out, 
potentially taken out of context. It'd be very interesting uh, to see how they go down. But he's 18 to 1, boosted from 14 to 1 to make a real impact and score a couple of goals. And I tell you what, against Liverpool, I really wouldn't rule out this being quite a goalsy game. With that in mind, Liverpool to win both teams to score has been boosted from 16 to 5 to 17 to 5 as well. And a key man for Liverpool going forward has been boosted. I think Roberto Firmino with the African Cup of Nations coming, he's going to be really dependent for them. First goal scorer for him has been boosted to 6 to 1 from 5 to 1. We've got loads of other boosts on there. But the game itself should be really interesting. Don't forget, we've got our bet builder markets, got our VAR markets on there as well. For me personally, I'm probably uh, looking at markets like a goal in both halves, eight to 11. I, I, I can see goals in this one. I really can. Um, you know, if I was going to have to have something, a, a, a bit of a bigger price, should we say, quite like the look of uh, Chelsea over three and a half goals and to win seven to one. That's both teams, I should say, goals combined and Chelsea to win seven to one, but should be a great game. As ever, we've got all sorts on there. Uh, we'll have boost for every single Premier League game as well across the uh, New Year fixtures, which we're really looking forward to. And I just want to take the opportunity to wish all the viewers a very, very happy new year. Fingers crossed 2022 could be a good one. Uh, we'll get, hopefully, COVID out of the way and we'll start having some more consistent team news, which will make our lives a lot easier for when we want to have a bet. Thanks very much, Sam. Jonathan, is this the biggest game of the title race so far? Maybe. Uh, I mean, it sort of feels kind of irrelevant because there is no title race because City have already won it. Um, I mean, maybe they haven't. Already? But... It, yeah, I mean, they, it, 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 I think it would take something pretty remarkable for them not to win it now. Um, I, I know Liverpool have a game in hand, don't they? Uh, but they're, they're nine points behind City. Chelsea are eight points behind City. Um, it's very hard to see City going through the kind of stutter. Um, do it, I mean, let, let, let's call that a six-point lead over Liverpool. Assume Liverpool win a game in hand. Um I, I, you know, it's just very hard to see where City drop six points more than Liverpool over the rest mm. of the season, particularly given that Liverpool are about to lose Salah and Mane and, uh, and Keita, uh, while City lose uh, Tony Riyad Mahrez, is it? I don't think there's anybody else from City who's... just um, So City's squad is, is so deep. They don't seem to have suffered um, the soft tissue injuries or, or from COVID yet. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's not over, but it feels sort of as, as good as over. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think whoever loses this game, uh, assuming City do win at Arsenal, I think it, it then becomes very, very difficult for them to, to even consider themselves outsiders for the, for the title. Yeah. I guess the, the results in midweek were just massive, weren't they? A massive yeah. swing, massive swing. And as, especially as, as we're obviously previewing this game, Chelsea play Liverpool. So at least one side is guaranteed to drop points. I look back over the last 21 Premier League seasons, so since the turn of the millennium, to see how often the team that starts the new year actually goes on to win the title. So over the last 21 seasons, 13, 13 teams that have led at this stage have gone on to win the league, which isn't a conclusive figure. But I think you just have to say that City's points advantage at this stage is, is really significant. Of the eight teams that have not won the title for having led at this stage, the biggest points lead thrown away uh, to the eventual champions was seven. And that's Liverpool were actually responsible for that on all three occasions. They threw away seven points to Man City last season. I think if you remember, Man City were like 12th at this stage last season. Um, and then they threw seven points away again to Manchester City in 2018-19. And they also did it to Manchester United in 2008 and 9. Um Obviously, the, the points gap at the moment to Liverpool is nine, maybe six if they beat Leeds in their game in hand. But obviously, that game in hand is going to be fitted in somewhere where the schedule is already tight. So it's not perhaps not a gimme. Um, but yeah, so so Man City could be 11 and 12 points clear of Chelsea and Liverpool, respectively, by the time this game happens. And with one of those teams set to drop points, then uh, I just can't I can't see any way back for any of them now anyway, and especially for the loser of, of this weekend's game. And, if, and it's been well documented, but Manchester City won 100 and picked up 110 points over the course of this calendar year, which is like miles more than anyone else. I think Chelsea were second on 83. And based on how the last few weeks have gone, you would expect that points gap to increase further, I would have thought. The, the interesting thing is, and I think this is why Jonathan's pr probably right, is as the season goes on, there's games where, you, you know, the odd game where teams might slip up. Liverpool slipped up against Leicester. They slipped up against Brentford earlier in, in the season, but Man City just win those games. Yeah, easy, easy, easy one. 
been against Brentford the other day where they, where they just kicked the ball for 90 minutes. And then also, you know, they blew Leicester away, absolutely ripped them to shreds and then Liverpool lose. Jonathan, it's you know, Man City are a different animal, aren't they, at the moment? That, that, that yeah, I mean, actually, the Leicester game, they, they, I mean, they did absolutely tell, tell them apart the first half. The second half, I, I, this is the first time I've seen City looking vulnerable for a couple of months, mm. which perhaps informed why they, was, they were a little bit more cautious against Brentford. That you know, I know it was effectively um, only sort of three-two to Leicester in the second half, but both City goals came from from corners, um, and you know we know Leicester have have that weakness from set plays. So they've conceded more from corners this season than than anybody else. Now that doesn't devalue the goals at all, but it does mean it's at least as much a facet of Leicester's weakness than if City playing well. And at the same time, Leicester did cause a lot of problems on the break, not just the three goals, but there was the Ian Acho chance at 5-3, there was the all Brighton header at 5-3. So you just sort of think if Leicester had been a little bit more secure from set plays, yeah, that might have ended up being a some sort of crazy 4-4 draw. And, that, and then you're sort of thinking, well, you know, is that just an aberration or are City actually wobbling? Um, now Leicester, of course, City problems... Repeatedly in the past, you know, the um, the 5-2 that I had last season, uh, the game in Guardiola's first season at the King Power when, was it 4-0 or 4-1 to, to Leicester? Uh, the, the way Leicester played does seem to cause them, cause them issues, so there's no real reason to, to expect that to, to happen elsewhere. But anyway, my, 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 sort of a, to, to answer your question, I think if a team is going to get overhauled, you've got to have a reason to expect them to perform less well in the second half of the season than the first. So that could be you know, Newcastle in 95-6 when they had the famous 12-point lead. The inexperience in that position, they they weren't great at the back. Um, and so you could see vulnerabilities there that could be exploited. Um, or maybe they've... You know, you're going back to when... When, when Norwich were, were leading the title race in 92-3, they obviously had a very slim squad and it only needed one or two things to go wrong and the squad would, would be the team would be significantly weaker. Well, that's just not the case for City. They're the best squad. So the fact that they're the best squad and they've got the lead, where's the weakness? Where are they going to falter? And even if they get sort of half a dozen injuries, it doesn't really matter. They're still going to have a really, really strong first team. It's not even like Liverpool when they got the... The midfield this season had to put out a slightly odd midfield against Tottenham. City would have to have sort of nine or ten injuries before they got got stuck in a situation like that. So, I I I, I really I mean unless there's some massive Guardiola meltdown or something, but even that, yeah, it hasn't happened yet in uh, fourteen seasons of him being a manager or thirteen seasons of him being a manager. I guess he did have one year out. Uh, so there's no reason to expect it to happen to happen now. Mm, they could get sidetracked by the Champions League, but like you say, they've they've got the absolute. Well, they're probably already twenty points clear in the league by then, so don't really matter. Yeah. Also, they've got an unreal academy where they can just suddenly pluck players from from the academy who look like world class players the first time they set foot on the pitch as well. So yeah, it is difficult to see where they slip up. Josh Chelsea, really underwhelmed by Chelsea. They, they were my tip at the start of the season to, to win the league, and recently. They just look pretty ordinary. Of course, they went to Villa Park and won three one. But in general, they just look really, really ordinary. Yeah, and Thomas Tuchel looks like he's feeling the pressure a little bit, doesn't he? Uh, I, I did have to get my tiny violin out for him when he was complaining about injuries um, in the, after the Brighton game. I think Brighton were missing Adam Webster, Lewis Dunk, and Shane Duffy, and and Graham Potter didn't complain. They adapted and they looked really good against Chelsea. Um, but yeah. Chelsea kept um, seven clean sheets from their first ten Premier League games, and they've only they've only managed two in their last ten. Uh, and there does seem to be some sort of tensions just bubbling behind the scenes. No, none of their defenders are any closer to signing new contracts. Uh, ben Chilwell's out for the season. Reese James looks like he's out for the foreseeable future. Edouard Mendy is he's um, leaving for Afcon. And then on top of all of that, they've had uh, Romelu Lukaku come out and say that he's unhappy. That's a weird interview that was. Um, yeah, and it, like it, it was done. I think it's, it's been said it was done three weeks ago, but at the time like, it just doesn't make it any better. There's still comments that are just not helpful at any time of the season. Um, and I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this is might be quite bold, but I, I would not be surprised if things unravelled madly over the next year or so, and Tuchel was sacked, and John Terry became interim manager. I just. Uh, maybe it's cynical of me, but I think it's a really calculated move by Terry to go. I don't see why, if you've got aspirations of being a manager, you would leave 
as an assistant manager of a Premier League club to go work in, a, in an academy. But I think he just knows how Chelsea works. And I think after Frank Lampard, the way he was, well, what happened with Frank Lampard, I think Terry knows that his only chance to manage Chelsea at the moment anyway is as an interim manager. And I think just being at the club will just help his cause more than if he wasn't there. Not to say that I think Tuchel should be sacked or will be sacked, but if I can just imagine how, because everyone knows how Chelsea operates, that I can imagine that happening in one point in the future at least. Tuchel is going to get sacked by Chelsea at one point. And if Terry Terry's there, then I reckon he's got his, eye, his eyes on that job. What do you make of that bold claim, Jonathan? Well, I agree with the part about Tuchel that um, I think that could unravel pretty quickly just because of the nature of, of the club. I was I have to say some stuff I'd heard uh, made me very surprised when Terry was accepted back at Chelsea. Um, I, I, the, the whispers I, I'd heard out of Chelsea suggested that there was a bit of tension behind the scenes there between Terry and the hierarchy. Maybe that's been resolved now, and if it has, well, yes, he, he is ideally placed to be to be an interim. I do think, though, that the Lampard example will make Chelsea pretty reluctant to, to make the same mistake again. Um, yeah, you, you can't just keep burning through club legends. Um, and I, I, my suspicion, I mean, yes, an interim manager, it's absolutely possible. Um, but I, 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 I think they, they learned a lesson with Lampard, and I think they, they will appoint people with Champions League pedigree for the foreseeable future. Yeah, Lampard had at least managed as well. I'd need managed at Derby. John Terry has literally just been the coach, the assistant manager at Villa, so it'd be very difficult to see him coming in, even in an interim basis for my money. Sliding doors moment, though, Jonathan, at the moment, because Salah and Mane are off. They're going to AFCON, as we've already discussed. Lukaku is back. He's scoring goals now against team, teams that aren't just Aston Villa because he scored against Brighton as well. Is that going to tip it in Chelsea's favour, the battle for second, as we'll now call it? It may do. I mean, I, I sort of think the back of Chelsea's midfield is, is more of an issue. Uh, I mean, look, the, the issues with, with their forward line have been a problem. The fact that they were reliant on, on goals from, well, from wing-back. Uh, now they've lost their two wing backs, their two first choice wing backs. Um, you know, uh, Kovacic has sort of been thrust in after was he out for eight weeks? Uh, and, it's out for a long time, yeah. I think wasn't didn't look particularly ready. Kante, I think, was overused until his knee's gone again. So, yeah, you know, it's. I, I don't know. There was a point sort of uh, around about February, March last year, when I sort of looked at that squad and thought, it's a really, really, really good squad. And I, actually, one of the reasons I was so critical of Lampard was I thought that they should be doing more with that squad. It just sort of feels like it's falling apart now. And, and that, that sort of... All those forward players they signed, none of them have really worked. Um, and no. Partly has to do with injury, but, you know, Ziyech, Pulisic, uh, Werner, Havertz, Lukaku... None of them, you'd say, would have been an outstanding success. Um, that's a lot of money spent for n- not any real you know, concrete rewards. So um, I sort of had in my head that, that Chelsea were incredibly well run and their recruitment was incredibly good. I, and, and maybe sort of in a couple of months when people start regaining fitness again, that, that, that'll look the case again. But the, 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 the forwards they've brought in, there really hasn't been an outstanding success. Felt like they were going to concede against Brighton as well, Josh. I don't know whether you watched that game, but that late, late Danny Welbeck goal, you felt like it was coming. And there's been a lot of instances like that, Stamford Bridge recently in particular. Yeah, it was entirely deserved, wasn't it? I think Brighton were the better team throughout, or certainly for mo- most of the game. Uh, but yeah, and it's just, Chelsea look, just looked so strong at the back at the start of the season. As I mentioned, their clean sheet records in the first 10 compared to the last 10. Um, and obviously now they're going to lose Edouard Mendy, who has looked a bit shaky of late, but still going from him putting and then putting Kepa into a defence that's leaking goals now would probably be a bit of a concern. But I think the to be fair to for, for Afcon, the the games they don't miss that many Premier League games. The players, but I think the big the big uh, big problem is when they come back, the travelling, and I, I think maybe more so the emotional investment into the tournament for the players like Salah, Mane. Um, and anyone really had these big clubs, there's, the AFCON is is so big for them. And I think the the emotional investment that they put into that, that could hamper them when they come back or hamper their team, sorry, when they come back uh, down the stretch. I think maybe just fatigue could be a real problem for a lot of the players. Just interesting about tra- Chelsea's transfer policy again. We're talking about the most expensive goalkeeper in the world coming into the Chelsea team. 
it's a massive issue. Jonathan's right. They have chucked a lot of money and it's not really been a success. They do seem to just win, win silverware most seasons, though. So I guess it does paper over the fact that they do spend a lot of money because at one point it's going to work. But yeah, £72 million on a goalkeeper that wasn't the best goalkeeper in Spain or in Europe at all was obviously a lot of money. And obviously now with Lukaku hinting that he might want to go back to Inter Milan, uh, it's not great when you've just spent nearly a hundred million on him as well, and obviously, he's like, but I mean, that's clearly not going to happen, is it? Inter no. ca- cannot afford him so, no. unless Inter do get taken over by the Saudis, which I know, you know, that that wrangling's been going on, but Inter just don't have any money. So, well, I thought Barcelona had no money, and then they buy Ferran Torres for fifty million. Well, yeah, but there's a, they do have money because they've they've now got the Aguero wages. That's how they can afford. Ah, I knew you'd know. Knew and you'd also, know. they've got a four hundred forty million pound loan from Goldman Sachs. So, it's not a great position, but but the, the 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 combination of that loan and having the Aguero wages freed up because I'll be off, you know, paid off by insurance. Uh, they they can afford to make a signing, and I guess their logic is that yeah, if they're going to start building again, they have to be in the Champions League. So making an investment now to try and guarantee at least fourth place is is worthwhile. I saw I saw this morning as well that Barcelona have agreed a deal with Alvaro Morata. So his agent is obviously uh, pretty good at his job. Really? <laughs> yeah. What to go now? Well, January. Yeah, apparently it's from some quite credible uh, Spanish journalists as well. I've been reporting it. Wow. Okay. That's big throw, throw but, a bit. I mean, and they also don't forget they they got rid of Griezmann very late in the window. True. So it's his wages haven't been redeployed. Uh, I mean, it's not ideal when you're constantly pushing against those limits. But I think Aguero and Griezmann, a create, you know, they they need forwards. You can't be going about with Brathwaite and uh, Luke De Jong. Um, no, and, and yeah, the, 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 those wages are there to be spent. This is why you get the big gigs, Jonathan. It just took me back to Boxing Day when my uncle was reading the paper and he was reading your column and he looked at me. He just gave me a nod. He said, this is, the kind of, <laughs> this, is the kind, this is the kind of guy you're working with. You've done well. I felt like, made I felt like it. he was congratulating me. Like excellent uh, judges of character and, uh, oh, and talent. Well, my dad was delighted with his book, by the way. I mean, he already knew it was coming because <laughs> I'd, I'd obviously given it away on the on the podcast and he watches the podcast, but he was delighted to receive the book. I didn't even wrap it because he knew that you, he knew he was getting it. So there was, there was oh, no well, point wrapping it. But he uh, was Happy delighted. New Year to, to, to all the Bardells. Thank you. Thank you. How did the, just a, a complete side note here, how did, how did the books do over Christmas? Don't know yet. Don't know. Oh, okay. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that in the ja- later January podcast because you were plugging them heavily every day, as you would when you when you release books. But yeah, just wondered how you will see a you will see a big sp- uh, sp- sales spike in the Birmingham area. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, he was the, the noddy guy. Me, it was just, it was a nice, a nice family moment on Boxing Day before I went off to the football and watched Villa lose. Combined eleven: Josh, Chelsea, Liverpool. I'm quite intrigued by this. One, I'm intrigued, always intrigued by the formation that who scored are going to come up with, but. I'm not sure how how I'd play this myself, Jonathan. Have yeah. you got one? Have you done one? Or I don't know. Wasn't I wasn't asked to do one. Do you want me to do? No, one? no, no. Yeah. You can. You or I can go through mine, and you can maybe just critique it as normal. Okay. Who you'd let's do in. it. Let's do it one by one. Tell us the formation, and then, well, and then it, we, me and Jonathan can tell you what we would have done differently. It's difficult because Chelsea obviously play exclusively a back three and Liverpool yeah, play back that. back four. But we've gone with a four three three. Okay, that's fine. It's going to be the Liverpool team, isn't it? But let's let's try. I'm not so sure about that. Go We've okay, got uh, Edouard Mendy just edges out Allison. Uh, I think it's difficult because I think both goalkeepers have had moments where they've looked really good and also they've had moments where they've just made some weird They both weird look mistakes. shaky at the moment, yeah. I would say. So I wouldn't say, wouldn't say one is particularly smashing it compared to the other. I'd go Allison, but that's fine. I can I can forgive that. Jonathan, can you forgive that? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. Right back, I presume, is Trent. It is Trent Alexander-Arnold, yeah. Reese James, though, is up there, but yeah. Alexander-Arnold... But he's going to four, though. It's got to be Trent. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Two centre-backs? Uh, we've got Thiago Silva as one and uh, Joel Matip as the other, but the gap between Matip and Van Dijk is closing on a weekly basis. I think Van Dijk has, maybe after an understandably slowish start to the season, has is coming back to his best. Well, it wasn't slow. It just wasn't as good as he normally is, but... He is now getting back to that level, I'd say. But yeah, but it's Matip and Silva. Yeah, I mean, obviously, most people would pick Van Dijk and probably Silva, wouldn't they, Jonathan? 
Yeah, but Van Dijk did have a slow start the season, so I understand that. Matip's been good. He's, he's played, played a much bigger role than I thought he would this season. He's done very, very well. Left back? Uh, this is perhaps controversial, but um, we've got Marcus Alonso as our left back. Chilwell just, it would be Chilwell, but he just hasn't played enough games. Uh, and I don't think Robertson's been as good as the other Liverpool defenders this season. Still a good season, but just not as good. And Alonso did have a really good start to the season, which has helped him when yeah. Chilwell was out. I really like Chimikas either. Yeah, he I just hasn't played. A, I know, but I'm just saying in general, just a little little note from me. I think he's a really good fullback. Really, really good. He's looked good every time he's played for Liverpool this season. Midfield three, this is where it probably gets interesting. Yeah, uh, we've got um, Kovacic as one of the midfielders. I think he, it's harsh because recency bias has obviously been out for a long time and he has looked quite off the pace since he's come back. But before that, he was one of the best-rated players in the Premier League for us. So he gets in on that. Uh, and then we've got Thiago as the other, the only Liverpool midfielder. I think it's for him, him, between him and Fabinho, and ideally you'd have both, because I think when neither of them play, uh, you see the problems Liverpool have in midfield and that sort of chemistry between midfield and defence. But yeah, we've got Thiago as our midfielder, and then Mason Mount completes it because he has had a great month as we mentioned in the team of the month section. Yeah, I think I'd have gone Fabinho, Henderson and Mount as my midfield three. Jonathan? Yeah, I'd probably agree with you, Fabinho, Henderson and Mount. This is why my uncle gives me the nods. Up in my game, reaching the same level. Front three, Josh? Uh, this is the straightforward part. It's just Liverpool's front three with Diogo Jota, not Firmino, obviously. Yeah, no, 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 Chelsea, no Chelsea players are even close. No, I, if you were picking a team, forget rankings. If you're just picking a team, you might have Lukaku up top, mind you, Jonathan. Well, not on form this season, but but yeah, as a sort of general, yeah, yeah, holistically over the last five years, yes. But in terms of form this season, I, yeah. I yeah, I just go with with Liverpool front three. I, I guess the weakest one of that front three is probably Mane at the moment. He hasn't scored since November the twentieth, I think. He hasn't scored. He's had twenty four shots since then and hasn't scored with any of them. Um, so I guess he's probably the, the weakest of the front three, but still a long way ahead of any Chelsea alternative. Yeah, I feel like he's not on his way out of Liverpool, but he's going to be the next one to kind of be phased out. And for me, has been phased out a little bit by Jota. It feels like next window, well, next summer window, they might do something down that left-hand side because Mane has certainly slowed. Builder for the game, Josh? It's another three, three-legged bet builder. We've got Mo Salah to score. He is obviously obsessed by records and will definitely want to, keep his healthy lead as the golden boot winner uh golden boot leader should i say he's already five clear with 15 goals um and yeah he obviously jets off to afcon after this so he'll want to finish with a bang against his former club so we've got him to score and then we've got two chelsea bookings we've got rudiger to be carded who is often quite unfortunate not to be carded more he's quite an aggressive defender um but he's been booked in two of chelsea's last three games and then we've got marcus alonso to be booked um, he obviously played way more than he was meant to in midweek when Reese James went off. So a tired Mo, a tired Marcus Alonso up against up against Mo Salah could be uh, quite problematic for Chelsea. I reckon we can see Liverpool pinging balls into that channel between Alonso and Rudiger quite often. So with Salah in his kind of form that he's in this season, both of those players could be in trouble. So we've got Salah to score, Rudiger to be carded, and Alonso to be carded. And Bet Victor have boosted that from twenty-two to one to twenty-eight to one this week. I am on that. That that's good. I like I like that yeah. one a lot. And I was going to call this the Mo Salah derby as I asked for your predictions, but you've ruined it a little bit. But I did come up with one that Jonathan will like the old Bolo Zenden derby. Oh, like that one, don't you, Jonathan? Oh, that's good. Is, is Raul Morales? Did he play for Liverpool as well? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah, don't Raul take away from Bolo Zenden though, Jonathan. Yeah, oh, yeah, a little nice. glance out the window there as well. I caught yeah. you. I was like, what was going? What was going on out there? A uh, car was driving quite erratically. <laughs> so, yeah. oh, definitely. I, love it. I really do. Uh, let's get our predictions then, Jonathan. 1 1. Who scored? 2 1 to Liverpool from who scored? I've gone for 2 2. Yeah, I think there'll be goals in, in, in this game. Both teams seem to be shipping a little more than they were. So, yeah, I think 2 2 for this one. Let's do the just a minute section now. Then, so, Jonathan, we were due to start with you, but Leicester v Norwich, James Madison Derby is in the bin. <laughs> So do I start with you? Do I go? Do I start with who scored? What do I do? I don't know what to do. Help me. Well, Josh has got four to do, hasn't he? So start with him. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. Have to start with Josh. Okay. Watford v Tottenham. Oh, got to be like a lazy start from the the Sissoko derby. Watford. Danny, Tottenham. Danny Rose as well. 
uh, after, Rose, th- yeah. uh, after three straight postponements, Watford returned in typical Watford fashion with a f- with a heavy 4-1 defeat at home to West Ham on Tuesday night. The likes of Nicholas Nkulu, Ben Foster and Ishmael Assar are all ruled out, with the latter still included in Senegal's AFCON squad. There are also big doubts over the likes of Tom Cleverley, Danny Rose and Kiko Firmino. Claudio Ranieri has claimed Nigeria missed the deadline to include Emmanuel Dennis in their AFCON squad. So if he stays at Watford for the for January, that is a huge boost for them given his output this season. But still, their squad looks patched up ahead of the welcome of Tottenham on New Year's Day. Tottenham still have four absentees, though Christian Romero is the only significant one of those. Antonio Conte spoke with great enthusiasm of Harry Winks in midweek, but the same cannot be said of Tanger and Dumbele, uh, who seems to be on the wrong side of yet another Tottenham manager. Um, Lucas Moore will return to the side after dropping to the bench. Dan, I know that did not please you uh, for your fantasy football team in midweek. Uh, he's had a great upturn in form under Conte and will certainly be back in the starting eleven. Um, after a sticky start to life at Tottenham, we're now starting to see Antonio Conte's fingerprints over this Tottenham squad um, and they're shaping up nicely ahead of what should be a fairly significant January transfer window. Tottenham have actually failed to win their last three matches at Vicarage Road, but we are predicting a 3-1 win for them here. 3-0 uh, to Tottenham. 3-0 to Tottenham. I've gone for 2-1 to Tottenham. Jonathan, your first one to look at in the Just a Minute section is Palace v West Ham. Ian Wright, Derby. Come on. So Palace had that wobble um, after MacArthur going. You know, MacArthur's still injured, but they've taken seven points in the last four games. I think I've been playing a lot better. So uh, I don't think that was just MacArthur. MacArthur's still out with a hamstring problem. Um uh, kind of Gallagher's a doubt as well, uh, but the club haven't said whether it's COVID or not, uh, some kind of illness. So, and Joachim Anderson is a doubt with a muscle injury. So, they big absences for Palace. Uh, West Ham have absences as well. So, I normally write this down, but I didn't bother this week because it's changed so much. Uh, Ogbonna has clearly been a big loss for them. Um, Zuma as well out. Uh, Fornell's a doubt. Cresswell out. So, a lot of their defence gone. Uh, West Ham have uh, only taken one point from three since the Chelsea win. And even the Chelsea win uh, was um, sort of in the middle of a a disappointing run. Uh, I think they're not great when teams sit deep against them, and I'm sure Palace will. So I'm going to say 1-1. This was 0-0 earlier in the season, but 1-1 I'm going to say this time. We've gone for 2-0 in this game. Yeah, I've gone for 1-1, one, one, the same as Jonathan. A mid-just-a-minute apology there. I don't think that's ever happened before. One for the archives there. Uh, Brentford v Villa, Josh. The game I was going to be going to, and now I can't go. Very, very frustrating. It's, uh, I'll, I'll, with the derby. I'll, go with the, I'll just go with the Scott Hogan derby when Villa decided to waste 12 million pounds. Brentford were un, uh, predictably dominated by Manchester City on Wednesday night, despite just a 1-0 sco- scoreline. But it, it also came at a cost with Dominic Thompson, their sub-left back, coming off injured. With Rico Henry already sidelined, Sergi Canos will likely earn a recall, though it will be out of position at left wing back. Christian Norgard set out the defeat to City through suspension, but he will slot back into midfield against Villa. With Thomas Frank also hopeful that Brian and Buemo will return from injury to partner Ivan Tony up front. All in all, though, they could be without 10 players this weekend, so this is maybe one to watch out for to be postponed. Um, Aston Villa have endured a heavily disrupted Christmas with games either side of their defeat to Chelsea postponed and also manager Steven Gerrard testing positive for COVID. Tyrone Ming sits, sits this one out through suspension with Courtney House perhaps more likely to replace him than Axel Twanzebe with the Manchester United loanee in talks to move to, to potentially leave the club in January. Um, Morgan Sanson will hope to keep his place in midfield after a promising showing against Chelsea, though John McGinn is back and will definitely start in midfield. The Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins uh, partnership up front didn't really work again last time out, so Ings may drop back out, to, may drop back to the bench with Ashley Young now returning. Um, Brentford are surprisingly unbeaten in the last seven against Aston Villa, but fatigue will surely be an issue after such a taxing game against City in midweek. Uh, Brentford have lost their last three Premier League games without scoring, so we're backing a narrow 1 0 win for Aston Villa. Yeah, Villa couldn't do anything against Brentford in the Championship, hence that big run. Jonathan, what have you predicted? 2-1 to Villa. 2-1 to Villa. And I was obviously giddy when I submitted those predictions. I've gone for 3-1 <laughs> to Villa in that game. Uh, Everton v Brighton, nothing leaping out of me. A derby there. Someone might need to help me. Mm. Everton, Brighton. I've got a sense of a, of a full-back from the 80s. I mean, that, I'm uh, not going to be able to get that. Did John Bailey play for Brighton? No, he, uh, Bristol oh. City. Ugh. 
I thought I'd done it well, but I should have played for Everton at some point, and he hasn't. Um, we might have to just soldier on with no derby. You, you go, Jonathan, and I'll think of someone whilst you do your minute. Well, Everton have suffered terribly from injuries, uh, and that's probably the main reason that they've only won of the last 11. Players are starting to come back, though. They will still be without Yerry Mina, who I think has been a huge loss for them. Uh, Richarlison out with a calf strain, Andros Townsend out with a foot injury. Um, Mina and Richarlison both have calf strains. Somebody who's recently got a calf strain, I just say they are quite painful and very difficult to play on, so I don't blame them for being out. Uh, Brighton were missing 10 players against Chelsea. Um, Lewis Dunk is still out. Um, uh, Others seem to be returning, though. So they do seem to have a defence back. Duffy was suspended, wasn't he? He's back after that. Brighton, five points above Everton. Uh, their problem is they don't have any forwards. Uh, so although they've still only had four league defeats, they possibly haven't quite capitalised on that. Uh, they only scored five goals in the last nine games, and three of those goals came in the last minute, as the, the goal against Chelsea did. Uh, they lost 2-0 early in the season at home to Everton. Uh, but I think... Uh, Evans' injuries will probably count against him here. So I'm going to say 1-1. I did get a derby whilst you were doing that, and I had to verify it. Great, Shark. Still playing for Brighton. Shane Duffy was at the Everton Academy. Was he really? Mm, yeah. But never played for them. I don't think so, but I did verify on my phone that he, he did come through at Everton. Josh, I heard you frantically typing away. Were you looking for someone? Uh, Shane Duffy as well, yeah. That's how that can, so there, can there can't be many then, if that's all we're coming up with. Uh, what was your score prediction? Sorry, Jonathan. 1-1. Uh, 1-1. One, one. I've gone 2-2. Two, two. What am I thinking there? What's some weird predictions? Josh? 1-0 one, one as well. 1-0. Very, very nice. Leeds, Burnley for you then, Josh. The Aaron Lennon derby. I'll just go. I don't like picking players that are still playing for the team, but I'll go with it. There were concerns over no fewer than 11 players before Leeds' last two games were postponed, but they've now got Dan James, Diego Lorente, Jack Harrison, Junior Firpo Rob, and Robin Cock all available. So this game should go ahead. Patrick Bamford could also make his return, but Calvin Phillips and Liam Cooper are out until March, and Jamie Shackleton is also unavailable for the next few weeks. Nick Pope missed out against Manchester United on Thursday with COVID, and there was also no Jay Rodriguez or Josh Brownhill. But Burnley at least got a game under their belt after three straight cancellations. Starman Maxwell Cornet wasn't risked with AFCON around the corner and he is not expected to return here either. Dale Stevens did make his first appearance since February uh, in a boost for their midfield options, while Aaron Lennon, who you just mentioned, rolled back the years with a goal against United and looked really bright as well throughout the game until he was subbed off. Uh, Burnley haven't won away from home in the Premier League all season, while Leeds have only lost one of their last six at home. So we are backing Leeds to win 1-0. 1-0. I've gone for 1-1. One, one. Jonathan? 1-1. One, one. I wonder, Clark Carlisle play for Leeds? No, let's, let's just move on. It doesn't matter, does it? Got one for this one. Southampton v Newcastle, Jonathan. The John Beresford derby. Oh, Kevin Keegan. Yeah, I didn't see Keegan play, so I have to go. I try and go with people I saw play. Um, I mean, I don't think this game's going to happen, fundamentally, because... No. Look, I mean, Give every, us 10 seconds. Now, and I'll go through Newcastle players who are out. Yeah. Uh, Callum Wilson, muscle injury. Kieran Clark. Uh, a doubt with COVID. Um, uh, Carl Darlow, ill. Paul Dummett, injured. Fernandez, thigh injury. Ryan Fraser, a doubt with a hamstring injury. Isaac Hayden, <coughs> uh, a doubt with a knee injury. Uh, Jamal Lewis, hamstring injury. Uh, Mankio, suspended. Matt Ritchie, a doubt with illness. Anselm Maxima, uh, a muscle injury. Fabian Shah, a doubt with a knock. And Joe Willock illness. So if that game goes ahead, it'll be a miracle. Um, yeah. Southampton, I think, will be slightly frustrated by that. Although they are missing Carl uh, Walker Peters and um, Salasu through suspension, um, they and then Livermento is a doubt as well, which is big for them. Uh, plus a couple of forwards and goals have been a problem. But they then had ten points above the relegation zone. Useful four points in the last two games. That point against Tottenham with ten men. Uh, and they did win at West Ham. So they seem to have found a bit of form again. So if it does go ahead, which it won't, I'll say Southampton to win 2-1. 1-0 uh, one for us. 1-0. Well, I've gone for postponement, so it could be three points in the bag for me. Not really. <laughs> I went for 2-0 to Southampton. Um, I did a funny thing that made me laugh as you were talking about Southampton's revitalisation there. In another podcast I do, we got given £100 to do a charity bet. And I, I backed Southampton to go down, and he's just completely re energized their season, making, making that shout. They haven't lost since I, since I said that. So, great, great prediction from me there. 
final game is for you, Josh. Manchester United v Wolves in the Dennis Irwin derby. <laughs> probably one of the boringest games that we could probably want for the start of a new year. But um, Eric Bailly came back from AFCON to help Manchester United out in defence, only to come off injured against Burnley. Came back from AFCON? Yeah, they, 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 they let him... not started yet. They let him go early to join up with the squad and then Lindelof got COVID, so they asked Bailly to come back to help out. Um, oh, but he was absolutely delighted with that. Sorry to completely disrupt your segment. Less delighted when he came off injured last night and has now put his <laughs> whole tournament in doubt. Very Manchester um, United. Yep, yeah, so that wasn't great for him. Um, but Rafael Varane will come back into the side this weekend. Lindelof could return, but will only make the bench if he is fine. Um, Donny van der Beek and Jesse Lingard couldn't get a game in midweek, even with Bruno Fernandes suspended. So both should just consider their United careers over if they hadn't already. Fernandes will no doubt start this one despite being out of form, while there will also be recalls for the likes of Rashford and Fred. Luke Shaw looked a bit more like his old self last night, um, so he could keep his place here. But Diego Dallo may come back in for Wambasaka. Um, Wolves' last two matches have been postponed, so it's difficult to really know who is available for them. Adama Traore has been in and out of the side all for the last few months, really. But if there's a team that you want to play him against, it's probably a Manchester United side that are very shaky in transition. He could get a lot of joy, perhaps with no end product, but a lot of joy. Uh, this will be Roman Sice's last game for Wolves before going to AFCON, and he'll be a massive blow going forward. He's been really, really good. Um, but yeah, so we have... We've predicted a nil-nil draw in this game because games between these two teams are so tedious. Wolves have the second best defensive record in the Premier League this season. Um, United scored three against Burnley in, mid in midweek, but they weren't overly impressive. Fortunate with a couple of the goals. Um, so, yeah, we're going nil-nil. Nil-nil. Quite like that shout, to be honest. Jonathan? One-nil, United. Yeah, I've gone for 1-0 Manchester United as well. But yeah, I do like your 0-0 there from who scored. I think that might be fruitful for you. We're going to do a Sunday treble, aren't we? But that'll be available We'll, we'll on, be plugged on the social media, yeah, yeah, because yeah, we were going to do a Saturday treble, then the games got cancelled. So yeah, absolute nightmare trying to do these things at the moment. That is the final Edge of the Box podcast for 2021. Thank you for tuning in this year. Hopefully you've enjoyed it and will be with us in 2022 as well. To make sure you know when the next podcast is coming out, if you could please subscribe with your post notifications on, then that would really help us grow. Thanks to Jonathan. Thanks to Josh. I only looked out the window once. And again, thanks to all you guys for listening. Have a great New Year's Eve and a great start to 2022. Stay safe.